We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything. Plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99. Logo styles from $16.99. And jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. We're not really back patters unless it's a SFB title or something. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dice Tradecast, brought to you by Rotoviz Radio. My name is Nathan. I'm joined by my good friend Dan Sanyo tonight. How's it going tonight, my friend? It is going well. Happy to be here. Happy to uh, to have a little discussion topic. We went to the Twitters, or you went to the Twitters, and I threw a nice little friendly retweet on there, and it looks like we got ourselves a topic. We do. We have a topic today. And that topic is going to be, how do they bust? Uh, what we'll be talking about today are some players that have some bust potential and kind of illustrate what happens this season, which will result in them being a bust based on their dynasty ADP. We're all obviously using June ADP because this came out. I mean, we're recording this on July 1st. Right. And, and it's not necessarily going to be like how they're bad or anything like that. It's it's their circumstances around them, things that could happen. And there's all sorts of different things that can make someone underperform their ADP or just be a complete miss. A lot of the names on this list are going to be guys that are still going to be fantasy relevant, but not to their ADP. So we'll touch on all of those things and and try to explain them best we can just to just to keep those little those little tidbits in the back of your mind, just in case, just just so that way in like 
you know, nine months, Nathan, and I can be like, I told you so, even though we we're not really back patters unless it's a SFB title or something. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Let's get into our potential bust. How will they bust? How do they bust? It is going to be our first one. And this is a guy we actually, I think touched on last week or the week before as a potential bust. And that is Joe Mixon running back Cincinnati Bengals. He's currently going off the board at 10 overall towards the end of the first round of dynasty startups. I will start us off with when we're looking at running backs and their bust potential, you have to look at the offense around them, the team around them. And right now the Cincinnati Bengals sit with the second lowest uh, win, win loss projection based on Vegas at only five projected wins for the Bengals, which is certainly not good. And, Obviously, when you're looking at the the top end running backs, each of the top five, top six running backs, many of those are playoff teams. Many of those are at the very least teams that are being competitive each week. And it's not looking like the Mingo is going to be one of those teams that are competing every week. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, what, are, what are some other potential bust factors for Mixon? Yeah, and, and just you know to kind of counter that portion of it, if it's a team that's going to be passing a lot like we anticipate the Bengals being because they're going to be playing from behind in most games, Joe Mixon's a very good pass catcher. So we could see him make up for what he loses on the ground through the air, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he still doesn't have quite a bit of bust potential moving into that first round being considered one of the top running backs in a, on a bad team. That's, that's not, not great. Like you mentioned for his, his fantasy outlook. Now I still think he's going to be very fantasy relevant. However, a first round pick is pretty tough when you look at, that team, like you said, and kind of the things that have been going around been happening for the Bengals. Uh, obviously, they didn't invest super, super high in running back or make any big moves that way, but they did bring in a couple of guys in Travion Williams and Rodney Anderson. Plus, they do still have Giovanni Bernard there. So as much as we want to believe that it's full bell cow for Joe Mixon, there's a real potential that, you know, with maybe some mixed in injuries, for Mixon that we see some of these guys get a good, um, a good chunk of those touches. And, you know, like we, like we've said before, Gio's no slouch. We've seen him produce again and again in the league. Uh, I feel like the Bengals are still going to try to keep him at least a little bit involved, maybe help him out as he maybe packs his bags and gets ready uh, next off season to move on potentially. And maybe they see what they've got in these two running backs that they drafted Rodney Anderson, who, you know, it was a super, super talented guy and just got hurt and him sliding in the, in the draft didn't didn't do a whole lot for his potential and, and makes you kind of feel a little bit uneasy about what he could potentially do. But Travion Williams is a guy that, that performed really nicely in college and did a lot of things very well that translate to this level. So I fully believe in Joe Mixon as a player. His health scares me. The offense scares me. And, you know, it's just, it's so tough taking a running back that you're not 100% sure on that early where you should be targeting wide receiver. Yeah. And another factor we haven't hit on yet. And I'll, I will say that Duke Johnson is all, always the heavily rumored uh, running back to be traded. I would not be surprised with a late off season trade for Gio Bernard, Bernard. I still think he's a talented running back could very easily be an RB two on most teams. And if they want to get the touches to Williams and Anderson early in their career, they got to get Bernard off the team because he's still good enough to be getting those touches. 
So with with, with Mixon, regardless, he's going to have the the competition, not necessarily competition, but they aren't going to have have the need to give him 20, 25 carries a game, and that's kind of the volume you need, need to have if you're investing a first round pick in a in a running back. Right. Yeah. And and like I mentioned before, I still think he makes up for the potential loss in in carries with targets. I think again, I think we harp on this just about every episode, and I'm I'm a big proponent of the PPR backs and guys that are pass catchers, and he's definitely that guy. But like you said, Bernard's definitely a competent guy, and if he's still there, a lot of those looks are probably going to go to him. They may even see what Williams and Anderson have. Uh, again, Mixon is definitely willing and able to do all of these things. His, his health and the offense are going to be the biggest factors that make him a real easy chance to bust at an ADP of 10. And what does that make him like the six running back off the board? Yeah, around there. And I do remember where I was going earlier. I was going to talk about obviously the off field concerns with Joe Mixon, you know, there's never really a time to say, oh, we don't ever have to worry about those things again. Certainly as you get further away from, you know, the major incidents or, or the major problems, the less likely they are to repeat themselves, I think. But it always has to be in the back of your mind, especially when you're investing that much capital into a player. Right, right. And, and running backs, definitely that scary position. I mean, we've already seen what what can happen in one calendar year with a guy like Todd Gurley, who went rb1 and then just now all of a sudden he's out of the first round he's behind Mixon, which you know the knee stuff is scary he's he's even ahead of Le'Veon bell who's due for probably a couple of massive seasons and then he'll probably fade off into the darkness but yeah it, it's tough for me to go to go first round pick on a running back that i don't think we can all 100 percent guarantee is the guy all right, let's move on to our next back and it or next player, and it happens to be a running back, and it will be James Connor of the Pittsburgh Steelers, currently going off the board at 18 overall in the second round of startup drafts. James Connor, he's a guy that I mean, I will say part of this might just be the fact that I wasn't buying in this time last year, and therefore I'm jealous of all the people who did get him <laughs> at that that sweet, sweet price. But there are a number of ways. I see him not living up to that early that that second round startup price. I, I think that he was a product of that red zone touchdown volume. You know, he had like 12 touchdowns, I believe last year, he still only averaged 4.5 yards per carry, nothing, you know, too amazing. And he did get a decent amount of receiving volume with 55 catches. But I think that both the touchdowns and the catches are going down. The touchdowns are going to, are, are going to end up going down to Benny Snell. Benny Snell is going to get some short yardage work. And then the receiving work. Yes. Uh, Jalen Samuels did have some of his time last year, but I think his role at, in the offense only increases over time because that's where he succeeds he succeeds as, as a pass catcher and that h-back role definitely yeah that the and again we'll probably have the same conversation when it comes to running backs but the health is is going to be my number one concern here again because he didn't make it all the way through 2018 as a healthy back and in order to be one of these rb1s you're going to need health on your side yeah you can put up rb1 numbers for 10 12 games but that's that's not paying the bills. You you need someone that's going to be consistent and on the field for, you know, 14, 15, 16 weeks ideally, but you're probably not getting to the playoffs with someone giving you only 10 weeks. You're going to need you're going to need that consistency. Or you may still get to the playoffs, but you're you're not going to make a big run if your potential RB1 is is not there for you. 
And like you mentioned with Jalen Samuels taking some of that passing work, I think I think Jalen Samuels is a heck of a football player, and he definitely excels as a pass catcher. And taking their number one pass catcher or 1B pass catcher out of the offense in Antonio Brown, now you've got targets opened up. Yes, obviously Juju's there. We'll see what happens with James Washington. They bring in a couple of free agents. They draft Deontay Johnson. Is that what his name is? Yes. You have Vance McDonald, who's probably going to take on a bigger role. But I could very easily see Jalen Samuels sliding in there and playing a little bit of, like you mentioned, I think we've mentioned before, that H-back role, which, I mean, he's he's built for kind of whatever they need him to be. He can play a tight end. He can play a running back. He can line up at fullback and still run routes from there. And he can even split out. He's he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. He's not an amazing running back from the ground perspective. Um, but he definitely can get the job done and he'll he'll I think he'll definitely lead or be second on the team in carries. I think Snell, like you mentioned, definitely gets some good work and some some valuable work on goal line carries and short yardage stuff. But I still think Jalen Samuels will be the guy that spells Connor and, and inevitably takes over if Connor gets hurt. Now obviously we're not hoping for any injuries or anything like that. That would be insane. But I feel like the injury thing with running backs, especially going in in this top portion of uh, any of your startup drafts, is it's a tough spot. You know, we'll say it time and time again. If the if the touches aren't fully guaranteed, and health is never fully guaranteed, so that's always just kind of that issue. But with running back, it seems that it's it's a little bit more dicey and it's a little more predictive than than anything else. All right, so I will ask you this question because we do mention that we kind of like the prices of both Samuels and Snell as you know dirt cheap guys. Who benefits more from a Connor bust? Is it Snell or Samuels? I think Samuels only because of the the pass the passing work. I, I think Snell can very easily get a lot of the the touchdown the, in the short yardage stuff. Uh, I just feel like Samuels will take on a bigger role if Connor, you know maybe shows that it was just kind of either fluky or product of the system product of having two elite wide receivers. It's, it's kind of up in the air, but I do think that Samuels is the one that benefits most. Yeah. I would say that Snell is the one who benefits most if it's a bust based on injury and Samuel's the one who benefits most if it's a bust based on production. That's totally fair. All right. Next, we're going to go to a pair of wide receivers being drafted next to each other and might have similar ways to bust. And that will be Kenny Galladay, Detroit Lions, and DJ Moore, Carolina Panthers. For me, I, I think that the biggest you know issue with these players is the wide receiver twos or even the wide receiver ones, debatably. And these offenses are almost as good, if not better than, than, than their counterparts. And they're all going much cheaper than Galladay and DJ Moore are. So I, I think that when you're talking about, yes, you could theoretically have both, but if you're looking at who is the better value in the offenses between Galladay and Marvin Jones, you'll take Marvin Jones at his value much later in, in the startup draft. And when it comes to DJ Moore, or Curtis Samuel, will take Curtis Samuel. So yes, uh, Galladay Moore might have the higher upside, but I, I do think that their price doesn't really account for their possible floor of not quite breaking out. Yeah, and this is the part in in a lot of startups where it kind of has always seemed to trend towards you're either taking a guy for potential big swing upside or you're taking the veteran for the the baseline floor that you're you know you know you're getting what you're getting. So at this point, you're looking at taking like a T.Y. Hilton or an A.J. Green. Or you're looking at taking Kenny Galladay or DJ Moore. 
So uh, I think here for these guys to be a bust, I think both of them kind of have the same path. Their teams could rely a little bit more on the run. Uh, we kind of saw both of both of these teams make that transition last year with the Lions starting to get on Johnson involved a little bit more. They still had some other guys getting touches as well. And obviously the Panthers leaning on Christian McCaffrey because obviously you're going to lean on Christian McCaffrey. But another possibility is the health of the quarterback. Uh, Cam Newton's not the healthiest the healthiest guy out there. He's he's seemingly had issues for just about each season outside of his one absolute massive season. I think it was 2015. It, it feels like he's just always a little bit banged up just because of his style of play. And Matthew Stafford uh, doesn't really have that that same history, but there's that potential if they're leaning a little bit more on the run. Or if the offensive line is straight garbage and he's getting hit, you know, kind of like how he gets hit. I think we could see both of these quarterbacks get banged up and, and then they really start to lean on the run. And that can completely take these guys out of offenses uh, because as, I do believe both of these guys are very good players. I don't think they're quarterback proof talents. I, I think with the guys that they have, they should definitely get to their ADP. It's more of a question of how the offenses perform and if the quarterbacks are both healthy. Yeah, and I think that possibly the most overlooked aspect of how both these possibly could bust is the tight ends. Uh, obviously, the Lions invested a top 10 draft pick in, in TJ Hawkinson, and they might be, obviously, teams want to get the ball to their you know top draft picks, but after they've already had a top 10 tight end bust, they probably want to make sure, all right, this one's definitely not going to bust. We're going to give this guy 140 t targets in his rookie year. We're going to feed him the ball as much as possible. And that takes away targets from Kenny Galladay. And I, uh, Greg Olson is certainly still alive. And then you have Ian Thomas, who I think is a promising young tight end. If you can get him for nearly free, maybe a third-round pick right now, I think it's a very wise move, especially in tight end premium, because I don't think he's being valued as a guy who could be startable this year. And he's just an injury away from that, from being like a, a, a locked-in weekly start. Definitely. And another thing for uh, to kind of go against Galladay a little bit is the loss of Golden Tate. Just looking at game splits in, in games where Galladay was in there and Tate played, he was much stronger because all of that underneath stuff was kind of taken care of and, and teams really had to focus on where Golden Tate was. Now, Marvin Jones is also a very good wide receiver, but he's more that down the field type threat. And teams are kind of able to to keep an eye on him a little bit easier. Where whereas with Golden Tate, he was kind of all over the place, doing a little bit of everything, and teams really had to focus in on that, which left Jones and Galladay outside for the most part one on one, and that's not going to be there anymore. Now with Hawkinson, that could very well be there. That that could be the case that they have to now focus on him, which maybe that ends up working a little bit in Galladay's favor if that becomes the case. But I. I don't think early on it'll be it'll be that. I think when this team goes to the air, it's going to be looking at its top two pass catchers. And I'm imagining most defenses are going to focus in on Kenny Galladay because they can see the kind of damage he can do on a small amount of targets and what he can do on any given play. So uh, losing Golden Tate out of that offense scares me a little bit. And a lot of times you'd think, oh, the targets are going away. But these also are helping the other guys. It's kind of the same situation in Pittsburgh with Juju Smith-Schuster no longer having Antonio Brown. He's now being the focus of the defense. So that's kind of a worry for me too. The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything. Plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99. Logo styles from $16.99. And jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. 
The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything. Plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99. Logo styles from $16.99. And jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. Alrighty, let's move on to our next player. It will be Aaron Jones of the Green Bay Packers. Curling going off the board at 38 overall. And for me, the my, my concerns for Aaron Jones are kind of the same as they were last year. Granted, those concerns ended up being mostly wrong. And that's the fact that I, I think that more, especially maybe with the new offenses, they, you know, give more trust to Aaron Rodgers. That Mike McCarthy wouldn't. Aaron Rodgers might decide, okay, I'm going to throw the ball 50 times a game. And if that's the case, it's not the greatest scenario for Aaron Jones, especially with the, the new acquisition of Dexter Williams, who is basically only a receiving back. So if 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 it proves that Williams is the better receiving back than Aaron Jones, then on those you know shotgun-type packages, they might just say, okay, we want to have Dexter Williams in the game. So the combination of a very high passing volume and a receiving back that they invested in, uh, I think both those could be potential, you know, pitfalls for the bust of Aaron Jones. Yeah, and and when he was on the field last year, Aaron Jones seemingly did everything right. He was he was definitely a much much improved in pass protection. He was better in the passing game. He he was doing things right on the ground. He was, I mean, he he definitely looked to be the guy there. And Green Bay, and, and maybe it was a Mike McCarthy thing, but Green Bay continued to just not put the miles on him. And maybe that's a smart thing to just kind of save it, save his legs. But you'd like to see the guy that's going this high, and he's not like overwhelmingly high, but he's high enough where you should still be expecting a good amount of touches. And he did only play 12, 12 games last year, but he didn't get an overwhelming amount of touches he's looking at 10 12 maybe 15 touches a game and at this price you're probably hoping to see more of that 16 to 18 touch scenario and and like you mentioned with Dexter Williams coming in that definitely could hinder some of his past work and I I don't think Jamal Williams is in the picture anymore as as far as taking touches away on the ground but We've seen great Green Bay do Green Bay things. And like you mentioned, if Rodgers decides he wants to throw it 50 times, he's going to throw it 50 times. Even if they're calling running plays, he's <laughs> he's, he's going to audible. He likes to do those things. So I don't know. It's, it's a little bit of the, you know, it's kind of the Green Bay thing with the running back right now that's holding me back on liking Aaron Jones more and not staying on the field that, you know, whether it's off the field or injury, it's kind of, it's one of those things that lingers in your brain, kind of like with the other running backs. It's, it's always, it's always something and you want them on the field to maximize their volume. And if they're not consistently on the field, it it's tough for, for teams to rely on these guys, even if they are clearly the better back or the better player in the offense, and they should be getting all these looks. If they're not there, I mean, you can't lean on them. Certainly, you can't lean on Aaron Jones, but you know what you can lean on? Rotoviz. You absolutely can lean on Rotoviz. And guess what, folks? Rotoviz Patreon is back for another season. So we started this up last year. We decided to go for it once more. So Rotoviz Patreon, second season, better than ever, actually. Patronships start at just $6 per month. And we offer exclusive access to the Rotoviz Radio Slack. I will uh, be in there from time to time. I'm not sure, Nathan, if you're going to be in there. Oh, yeah, um, slacking it up. 
See, there we go. I mean, you got you got your lovely Tradecast hosts in the Slack answering questions, going through things with everybody. So again, that's you know they start at six dollars. You get whether it's uh, access to the Slack, the advice, all the podcasts, the writing team, everything you could want. I mean, six bucks. Some people are paying more for for subs that they're not even using, which. You know, that is what it is. Uh, but Patreons also get first dibs on listener league spots, and those are starting up pretty soon too. So that's kind of another awesome addition. It, it's kind of fun to be involved with folks in the, in the industry, whether it's analysts or just, you know, some people from Twitter. It's, it's always fun. That's kind of how I got my start in, in all of this was just hanging out on Twitter, joining some chats, joining leagues with analysts, joining listener leagues. And it's honestly a lot of fun, especially when when the hosts and the writers and everybody are active, which in this case, I know a lot of these guys, all of them are active. All of them are really, really awesome people, uh, except for Nathan. He's, you know, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> so make sure you become a Rotoviz radio patron today and join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, do your part in helping the network grow. It helps us. It helps the channel. It helps everything. And we love bringing you guys the content. So helping us out there means you're going to get more content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Rotoviz radio and sign up today oh dan you forgot that the most important part do you like merch do i, I love like merch, merch. Uh, a t-shirt ASAP. oh yeah i i have a rotoviz pullover honestly it's one of my favorite early winter uh wares now that i'm moving to virginia i don't think it'll fit uh i mean it'll be <laughs> fitting for a early winter maybe uh, a late fall but or early fall even. anyways nine dollar tier you get some sweet rotoviz radio merch at the end of the season so start now accumulate those those points up nine dollar tier and you get some rotoviz merch at the end of the season awesome stuff and that's an exclusive and speaking of exclusives as a loyal podcast listener, you get 10% off a rotoviz nfl pass right now it's available through the nfl podcast homepage rotoviz.com slash podcast you're about to start the season. Make sure you get unlimited tools to all of our NFL content. Uh, you get the amazing value and support the podcast network. Once again, that's rotaviz.com slash podcast. Before we move on, just quickly, because this will be, you kind of have a tight timeline here, but anybody that signs up for Patreon before the 4th of July is going to be entered into a drawing for a season-long pass, the Rotoviz NFL pass. So if you get in there and you, you get in before the 4th, which will be cutting it a little bit close. We get it. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's been all over Twitter, though. Just read a little bit. It's fine. You don't have to listen. Uh, and plus, just like the other giveaways, if you already have one, it's extended just another 12 months. So if you if you currently have an NFL pass through Rotoviz and you sign up for this and you happen to win, now you're good for two years. I mean, that's kind of hard to beat. So make sure you get in there. If you're interested in the Patreon stuff, you have a chance at winning a uh, season long pass, which is pretty awesome. And you can still do the rating and reviews because I don't believe that pass has been given away yet. So keep on doing the rating reviews, go sign up for Patreon. And uh, yeah, you got some good stuff coming. All righty. Let's start up our next set of players. And this might be a, a hot takey one, Dan. This might be a little bit controversial, but how is your boy Baker Mayfield going to bust at his ADP of 63 overall? Well, anybody taking quarterback that high, and, and trust me, I love having my quarterbacks on my even one quarterback teams, but I just it, it's hard for me to even think about taking quarterback in the top four, five, six rounds. I'm usually looking at eight or later to even start thinking about quarterback. 
So with Baker here, obviously this isn't like an overwhelming price. He's not in like borderline first round pick how Patrick Mahomes was. And I think still he's what like a early third Mahomes. So Mayfield's price is a little bit more palatable, but we, we got, we got a decent rookie season from him. Uh, obviously the points weren't overwhelming by any means, but once he got in there, he started to do some things and, and he really looked to be the guy. But if we, are anticipating that same pace for his sophomore season, I think we might be in a little bit of trouble. I, I think it's it's very, very common for a little bit of a sophomore slump, whether it lasts the entire season, lasts a little while. I think those things definitely can happen. It's a little bit tougher now because obviously you have Odell Beckham there. You still have Jarvis Landry. You have Antonio Callaway. You have David Njoku. You have a whole slew of running backs that are going to help that team play. Plus you have a defense that's getting a little bit better, still not great, but better. And all of these things could help Baker, but if that defense hits its potential, well, now you have a team that's probably not going to be throwing it all that much. So if that defense gets to where they want it to be, they have so much potential, whether it's a defensive line or the defensive backs, everybody seems to kind of be coming together in Cleveland, which we haven't really been able to say for, I don't know, ever. Uh, this is this is a different Browns team. So it, end, it could end up being that this team is winning by 20 points by halftime every game, which isn't likely, but it could be. It could be blowing people out, kind of like how the Chiefs were last year. And obviously that didn't affect Patrick Mahomes at all because he's still going to throw six touchdowns every game. But that could affect Baker a little bit because of what they had at the running back position. And Baker's still learning. He's not by any means a seasoned veteran. And he's still kind of, he's still kind of got to make his own way. So uh, I feel like there's, Aside from obvious regression, there's a couple of ways for him to bust, but at 63 still, and, and it's kind of hard to quantify a bust uh, in a quarterback in a one quarterback league versus running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers. But at 63, that's that's just kind of pushing it at quarterback. Yeah, I, I think that the most obvious way for Mayfield to bust is through having a dominant and, you know, large volume running game. The only, I mean, I know we're supposed to be arguing for how it's supposed to bust, but but my problem is that the the number one way is through a large volume running game. But they did hire Todd Monken as their offensive coordinator. Todd Monken does not like running the ball. I don't think Nick Chubb is going to be a big fan of having Todd Monken as offensive coordinator. I mean, obviously he'll like scoring the points, but when Nick Chubb ends up having 13 carries in a 38 to 13 win, he's like, whoa, like I could have a few more carries. So uh, the, the real scenario is if Monken j- does change his ways to more of a running offensive coordinator, ends up giving the ball a lot to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, that then the, the volume decreases and, and Baker Mayfield only gets, you know, 18 to 22 ish uh, pass times. That's the only way he really busts because at this stage of where he's being taken in a startup, you do have to have that large output that, you know, a top five QB season because anything outside of the top five QB season, it might not be a bust long-term for Mayfield because he does have time, but it, it certainly it's a disappointment in the short term. You know, when you're drafting Mayfield, both in redraft and dynasty, you're expecting a top five. Eight right. And he's going right around Andrew Locke, Aaron Rodgers, and Deshaun Watson, who I think we can all agree are going to have some pretty solid seasons, assuming Rodgers stays healthy, assuming Locke continues on the same path he's been 
from his recovery, even though he looked pretty darn good last year. And obviously if Deshaun Watson can stay healthy and on the field, he should have a pretty large output with that offense. So yeah, it's it, the Monken thing. If they revert to a more balanced attack, even, uh, you know, even if he's only looking at 25 to 28 pass attempts a game, uh, as efficient as he is as a passer, it's, you know, it, it's not the volume we're looking for, like you said. So this is kind of like taking running back at the back end of the first, who isn't a guaranteed thing. If the volume's not there, the price isn't going to be worth it. And that's, that's basically, like you said, Nathan, that's basically the bust potential here is if the volume's not there, it's going to be tough for him to come up with, with all of those points. I mean, he's basically going to have to be Russell Wilson. to come up with the points and be super, super efficient on limited throws with what, I mean, is one of the better wide receiver cores in all of the NFL and the better offenses in the NFL, but, Still, it, it with limited limited touches, it, it could be it could be a little bit dis, uh, depressing. All right, let's go to our next one. It'll be Derek Henry being drafted at forty overall. Now, I think that people had their concerns last year with Deion Lewis coming to town, and Derek Henry still being relatively unproven as a workhorse back. I think people have too easily discarded their concerns from last year. I think that the concerns from last year are kind of still there this year. Yes, he had that huge end of the season. He was probably like a top 12 RB the last, you know, five, six weeks of the season. But there still is the, you know, the passing game concern. We haven't really seen him supremely involved in the passing game as a pro or or in college. And we still have Deion Lewis, who is a good pass catcher in that offense. And then we got to throw in the fact that the Titans offense still might be a mess because Mariota can't stay healthy. Yeah, I think I think at forty for Henry because I, I feel like if he were involved in the passing game, he would very easily be like a second round pick, even with the potential of Deion Lewis still being you know relevant in that offense. I feel like at forty for Henry, that's kind of the assumed space where we just kind of know he's only going to get the carries, and if he even replicates what he did last year, obviously he was like super efficient last year, but if he gets 225 to 250 is from a carry benchmark. I think he's going to do some damage. And I still think that the touchdown potential is going to be there. It may even be a little bit higher this year than last, but a lot of that is going to rely on quarterback. Obviously if Mariota's healthy, that makes him even more dangerous in the backfield because of Mariota's, you know, he, because of how good of a runner he is to get out of the pocket and scramble. So if they have to keep an eye on the backfield for both of those guys, that frees up Derrick Henry a lot more. Now, if Marcus Mariota isn't healthy and he isn't right, well, now you've got Ryan Tannehill, who, I mean, he's fine. He's not he's not a game breaker. He's a backup quarterback. That, I think, will will hinder Derrick Henry a little bit more. But I think it, it from what it all seems like is the Tennessee Titans offense is basically a full go and Mariota's healthy. He's looking good. And the wide receiver core is picking up as well. So with plenty more weapons around him to worry about teams, won't be able to really focus on Henry because I feel like towards the end of last year, they really started to look at him as a legitimate threat to break something off every single time. And I mean, he's definitely that type of player. He can do those type of things. Now it's obvious that in the, in the time he's been in the NFL, I haven't been a big fan and I think I'm actually starting to come around on him because of what he can do with just getting touches and uh, on the ground and not through the air and the potential for that offense to take a, a pretty good step forward. So I think his bus potential 
is tied to Mariota and a little bit tied to Dion Lewis, but I feel like this season could be his true like breakout season where he does something special. Yep, that's certainly a possibility. All right, let's move on to our next one. It'll be Cortland Sutton, wide receiver, Denver Broncos. And I'll lead us off here with, I think that the biggest thing, it's not Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, people who are drafting Emmanuel Sanders in redraft leagues, I'm not sure I understand what you're doing. I, I think that he's all but done after, I believe he had Achilles injury. That, that was his injury, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's an uh, injury we haven't really seen uh, successful comebacks from. Even Jimmy Graham has been nowhere near the player he was prior to his Achilles injury. So anyone relying on Sanders is cl- close to an Achilles injury. Not a good idea. But we do have to look at the volume that Deshaun Hamilton got in that offense last year. And that is the more legitimate threat into the possible breakout of Cortland Sutton. So, you know, you're more looking at the the gap between Sutton and Hamilton shouldn't be as wide as it is right now in relation to how many targets we, I think that both will get in the offense. But going back to, you know, the possibility of a bad offense, you have Joe Flacco starting. If Joe Flacco starts the entire year, I don't think it's a pretty year for the Denver Broncos. And even if they go to Drew Locke at some point, you know, that's far from any, any guarantee as well. So, there's some offensive concerns. There's some, is he, you know, he's not, he hasn't proven anything at the NFL level and he has guys in that receiving court, you know, to compete with. Yeah. And honestly, if they go to drew lock off of Joe Flacco, I mean, that's probably even a downgrade in the short term, you know, drew locks a fine quarterback. I'm sure he'll be, you know, probably on that replacement level line as far as an NFL quarterback goes. But as far as Cortland, not, you know, having a big splash in the NFL as a rookie, he only had 84 targets from a bad quarterback <laughs> crew, I guess we want to call them. But 42 catches for 700 yards is is pretty, it's okay. I mean, that's a good starting point as a rookie. You know, 17 yards per catch is, is that's strong in my opinion. The problem is, is his usage. So with Joe Flacco, it could be, tough it it's, feels like a team that's going to want to run the ball more consistently than they are going to want to pass it obviously you have philip Lindsay coming back off injury you have royce freeman hopefully bouncing back from his questionable rookie season into uh hopefully a little bit stronger of a sophomore year but if emmanuel sanders does come back you know that that could help and could hurt Cortland sutton now that could free sutton up to work against a number two defender or that could mean that Sutton's not getting the target share that he probably should be getting. Uh, I think his baseline for this season is about 100 targets. He could see more if Emmanuel Sanders isn't healthy. But if Manny's out there, he's going to demand the ball because that's just kind of the player he is. But like you mentioned, with the Achilles, that's that's tough to come back from. So uh, I think if it's Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton out there, they'll probably get similar type targets. And as far as, as Sutton busting... It's pretty darn easy. He's not being drafted overwhelmingly high considering his draft capital, but there's just Denver's not going to be that great of a team. The offense is going to be relatively putrid, in my opinion. Flacco's just another guy, and Drew Locke is slightly better long term, but short term could be, you know, Flacco esque. So I'd be really interested to see how many targets Noah Fant is going to draw because obviously they invested quite highly in him. And that could end up just being the check down type throws that they're asking Joe Flacco or Drew Locke to make and not looking to make any any big moves down the field with Cortland Sutton on a consistent basis. So I think there's plenty of avenues for Cortland Sutton to you know not pan out. 
uh, whether it's just this year or in general for his career. Uh, I would like to see him pan out because I have plenty of shares selfishly. So, you know, that's, that's kind of a tough one, but I think he's on that boundary of upside versus risk and they're probably relatively balanced, but I would imagine that the risk meter is probably a little more full than the upside meter is. Well, from a startup perspective, I do think he's going in the range that if you're going the productive struggle, the win later route, he's the perfect pick to make where you're not needing that production in in year two for him, year one for the league. Um, and if you're you know trying to compete year one and trying to be one of the top teams, then you're going for more of the proven, the more guaranteed targets. I do want to amend something as I was looking at the hashtag numbers. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton had nowhere near as good of a rookie season as Cortland Sutton. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was just my brain thinking, because Hamilton had no rookie year you know expectations and he put up some decent fantasy numbers but at the end of the day he was only averaging 8.1 yards per catch only had two touchdowns so he, he wasn't putting up the numbers that, that Sutton was or getting the targets he was it was more so just the expectation he exceeded expectations and Sutton maybe didn't disappoint but like lived up to just about expectations yeah and and also going back to the point in startups where you're just kind of looking for that upside player the win later the guys he's surrounded by are guys like dk metcalf aj brown will fuller paris campbell dante pettis so not not a lot of guaranteed production there so you know it could just be the point in the drafts where that's just where he's going because that's where he belongs he belongs in that group of those guys and in order for him to take that stride forward he's gonna need flacco to I mean, be strong and throw the ball a lot and hopefully target him 120 plus times. So I feel like him underperforming is more likely than him. I shouldn't say underperforming. I think he's got a reasonable chance to hit his ADP. I just don't think he's got a good chance at exceeding it. Especially with their current quarterback situation. Right. Once With the development of Drew Locke in future years, it's certainly a possibility. But in year one, with Flacco being bad and Locke still developing, probably not a likely outcome. All right, let's go to our last, how will they bust? How do they bust? And it is going to be the hardest one that we'll have. I'm not sure how we're going to do this. <laughs> not sure how we're going to talk about this. But Dan Sanyo, how will Trevor Lawrence bust? That's a good question. Career-ending injury? <laughs> is, is that on the list of options? I Honestly, he's in such a good position to succeed and at the right place to do it at wide receiver university, which is transforming into running back university. I mean, all arrows pointed up for Trevor Lawrence. And it could be to the point now where we're, our expectations are too high. We're, we're expecting him to be that next big thing. We've seen what he can do. We know he's an excellent talent. We know what he can do with, with NFL talent around him. But if we keep these expectations up and he does regress a little bit, which is always possible, and chances are he probably will at some point, that that could be the the fall off the cliff. We we like to see our Debbie players and Debbie assets continue to produce at the high level that we anticipate them, and we're drafting them as high as where Trevor Lawrence has been going in Superflex Debbie leagues, even in whatever even regular Debbie leagues. I'm seeing him getting picked up on one quarterback, you know, going ahead of four, five, six other guys, which that's that's kind of nuts. Yes, he is very good. I'm not debating that, but we still have some time before we see him in the NFL and plenty of things can happen. We've seen it time and time again with other quarterbacks that have 
a really good rookie or sophomore year and then just kind of plateau or regress significantly. I don't think that's the case of Trevor Lawrence, but where our expectations are, I think it's really easy for him to lose value and not necessarily come in and not still be the quarterback one in his class, but he could lose some dynasty value over time with, with ease, I think. Yeah. And th- this has less to do with this year, but I can see once we get to the time where we're going to nitpick every single thing about him, when we look at his time with Clemson, we'll see four first-round pick wide receivers. And then you'll be like, well, who couldn't succeed with four first-round right. pick wide receivers? And the answer is Todd Boyd. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But, uh, you were waiting on that, weren't you? I no, no, it. I came up with it on the fly. Wow. Uh, but in, in regards to, to Trevor Lawrence, I, I think that we are going to end up, you know, the nitpicking usually ends up waiting until their draft cycle. I think that we're going to nitpick very early on this year if he's not playing as well as he was. You know, he he had a 9.3 AYA, which anything clo- anything above nine is, is very good. Uh, you know, if he hits that 10 mark, you know, he'll be one of the best prospects we've seen in the last 10 years. And so, yeah, I, I, th- I think that really the only thing to possibly complain about is that his supporting cast is too good, but that's not going to make him any less of a player. If anything, it's just going to give him more opportunity to show how good he is. So before we wrap on the segment, let me ask you a question. Is there someone within sniffing distance of Trevor Lawrence in the quarterback category that could surpass him in time, assuming regression. Uh, I mean, I, I still really like two. I think he's been getting a bit of a bad. I mean, he's he's getting closer to his draft class. Therefore, the nitpicking. He doesn't have a strong enough arm, and he's a lefty. And the, so, I mean, I, I still think that Tua is the closest thing to to being better than him. One guy that I think it is a solid sleeper right now is Jordan Love uh, out of Utah State. Uh, but I don't see him really approaching Trevor Lawrence right now. Sam Ellinger out of Texas, KJ Costello. I'm I'm just naming some of my favorite, you know, Debbie quarterbacks right now. But I don't. I think that all of them have much lower floors than than Lawrence right now. I think Lawrence's floor right now is like an end of the first round quarterback. Yeah. No. That's. I mean. That's. Yeah. It's. It's hard to. It's honestly hard to argue with it because of what we've seen and what he's been able to do in virtually an NFL offense. Like you mentioned. I mean, he's. He's surrounded by elite talent, which isn't always the easiest thing to do in college football. And even at the NFL level, you've got some guys that are replacement level players that, you know, that just make quarterback looks look bad. So yeah, that's that's gonna be an interesting one to follow in the next couple of years here and kind of see what what comes of it and see if anybody makes and see if anybody closes that gap. Maybe maybe there's somebody under the radar, any JUCO guys, any uh any, you know, redshirt freshman that may that may make that big leap and and catch up with Lawrence. And then all of a sudden that class just becomes insane. And now you've got like 10 teams fighting over trying to get in the top three. Oh yeah. I mean, the the one thing about, you know, a class being two years away, there are guys who haven't made a start from Trevor Lawrence's class that will still be, you know, top, top two, top three round picks. So we'll see their, their debuts this year. A lot of them, so that'll wrap us up. That is how Trevor Lawrence will bust. The answer is he will not bust, um, <laughs> at, at least until he gets to the NFL. But thanks for listening, guys. Make sure to rate and review the pod. You know, there's great things that can come to you. Uh, make sure to sign up for our Patreon. We get get into that Rotoviz Slack, all that good stuff that listened earlier in the episode. But, Dan, uh, thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you guys next week.
Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything. Plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99. Logo styles from $16.99. And jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything. Plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99. Logo styles from $16.99. And jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.